Welcome to the Kana Rince Podcast, Volume 3, Issue 134. You can play along with Kana Rince Volume 3, and our next five issues are Borderlands 2, then it's Burnout Paradise to conclude the Burnout run, Banjo-Kazooie, long-awaited, much-requested, then more cutesy platforming of a different sort, though, with Tearaway, and then it is Intelligent Systems Fire Emblem Awakening and a general retrospective of that particular franchise. Head to canarince.com for the full schedule, the blog and links to our merchandise store. Our Facebook page, which has recently had a boost in likes and we'd like it to be boosted even more, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, our Google Plus, which is less boosted. And our YouTube channel, which always needs more subscribers. Please subscribe to the podcast of course on uh, iTunes and you can also review and rate us there as well now joining me Leon Cox in this issue we have Tony Atkins hello Joshua Garrity hello there and Mr Ryan Heyman there's always a lighthouse there's always a man there's always a city that's the right game right <laughs> uh i don't know is it i hope so i like that quote there you go <laughs> <laughs> to the moon um, so, this game came out uh, in 2011, originally. Um, I kind of hadn't realised it had been that long. Mm. <laughs> uh, it seemed to be that people were still talking about it. Maybe that was partly because the uh, Mac and Linux version only arrived, uh, versions, I should say, in January of this very year, 2014. Uh, so, the developer... Publisher goes under the, the name of Freebird Games, but really it's very much the work of one person, with a lot of help by his own admission, Can Gao. Now, he has a nickname that he's known by on Twitter and elsewhere. I don't know how you say it. Is it Reeves? Raves? Ro, ri, rives? I'm not sure. Reeves? Uh, but that's... It's it's there. That's his name. But Can Gao, anyway. He's a, he's a, a young man of... I think he's about 24 now. He... Uh, spent the first 10 or 11 years of his life uh, in China before moving to Canada. Um, this seems to be a, a recurring theme with uh, uh, independent developers where they, um, this this was a similar story to um, Papo and Yo, mm -hmm. dude. Yeah. Uh, went to Canada, um, presumably finished his education, did computer related stuff, um, has made four games. Now, I'm not familiar with uh the previous three, I have to say, I think they were even, you know, kind of smaller and more under the radar projects. Have any of you any experience with e any of Can Gao's other games? I played them after finishing To the Moon. Okay, interesting stuff. Could you? I, I understand at least one of them had. Whereas To the Moon, as we will discuss, kind of looks like a, a 16-bit RPG. One of them plays more like a 16-bit RPG. Yeah, I think the one you're referring to is Quintessence, the Blighted something. I'm yeah, not remembering yeah, yeah. right offhand, but 
that one is a little bit more expansive. It's one that I didn't spend a lot of time with and even uh, Ken kind of admits that it hasn't aged terribly well. It was just sort of an right. experiment that he did early on. But uh, there are a couple more games that are posted for free on his website. Um, one of them is kind of like a, a movie that you just watch in mm. RPG Maker. Um, there's no interaction, but it's uh, you know a, a sweet story. And there is uh, there's another one called The Mirror Lied, which is kind mm. of like a David Lynchian type horror story. Yeah, kind of hard to pin down genre-wise. I I heard I, yeah I heard that one's quite 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 out there. It's interesting though. I like it. Uh, so those are out there to check out. They they may well not get their own cane and rinses, but um, interesting nonetheless. Uh, now looking at the credits at the end of the game, he did have some help, although it's it's clearly his thing. But uh, co-developer credit to Lanny Neely the third, which is a great name. Um, several artists who I won't name check, but. Well done to them. And uh, he, Kangal composed most of the music, most of the score, as I understand, but uh, he teamed up with his friend, Laura Shigehara, uh, who many of you will know as uh, the voice of the Plants vs. Zombies song, and uh, who she composed the music for that. Uh, she provided the song, Everything's Alright, which no doubt will close this podcast with, and there won't be a dry eye in the house, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so yes, it was made... Uh, in Enterbrain's RPG Maker Engine, uh, which doesn't mean a lot to me, but I assume it's a handy, friendly piece of software which allows you to cobble together pseudo 16-bit style role-playing games. Now, uh, let's sort of do our histories with the game. For me, apparently I was gifted this game on Steam at, towards the end of 2012, and I think it was by my dear old friend Simon Cook. Apologies if that's wrong to whoever got it to me, or or the fact that I can't quite remember if it was, but I think it was my friend Simon. And I've had it sitting there, of course, ever since uh, intending to play it, probably for this podcast. But the thing I was going to say, for, for this whole time, uh, I've thought that it was because I'd heard it was a point-and-click adventure. I had an image in my head um, based on some of the promotional art of kind of large, uh, large cartoony characters, maybe two D side-on. You know, more in the classic uh, LucasArts style point-and-click, but it looks more like uh, yes, a Square game from the SNES era. But it's not a SNES RPG. No. It's it may be built in RPG Maker. It may sort of riff on some of the tropes of the genre with the with the ellipsis coming out of the characters when they're pausing, and the perspective of the houses. But this is very much um, in terms of interaction with the environment. This is a pointed click adventure, right? With a few puzzles dotted about here and there. So the setup is, um, I suppose you could call it a, you could call it an emotional mystery. A Why Done It, one of those sort of hackneyed coverall titles. <laughs> um, you play as uh, you play as a pair of people, really, Doctor Neil Watts and Doctor Eva Rosaline or Rosaline. Which one should we go with? I always thought it was Rosaline, but I concur. Yeah, <laughs> I'm Eva Eva or right. And uh, they work for the uh, Sigmund Agency. Uh, and their job is to uh, grant the dying wishes of uh, customers, I guess, patients, customers, um, so that they believe that, that they have uh, memories implanted so that they believe they've fulfilled their lifelong yearning so they can die without regret. Um, now, straight away, this 
opens up a lot of questions in my mind as to uh, obviously it serves this story particularly but but as a as an ethical question um and and also as a philosophical question of, of whether you whether that's even like theoretically possible not i don't mean putting memories in people's heads and things like that i mean to to die without regrets so i guess what i'm saying is in this game, so they they go back into into this guy's uh, past, John or Johnny, um, and they try to locate and plant the seed that he in Inception style that he wants to go to the moon, um, because it was his lifelong wish to do so. And so, yeah, sorry, to, they want need to create the memory that he he actually made it instead of. Well, failing I mean, to it's, make it. it's his dying wish. Now they assume that's his lifelong wish, but it's not quite as simple as that. But it, you know, they assume as it's his dying wish. <laughs> that's uh, that's what he's always wanted to done. But there's more of an, an element. Yeah. Of why that wish was his final deathbed wish. That's right. Um, yeah, and of course, what, yeah, one of the questions that that raised to me immediately was if if you. Even if you had your uh, your dying wish granted, or you felt that you had that implanted at the end, so you had achieved that, um, would your memories not also spiral off into a lot of other um, possibilities? That you know that idea that when when you achieve something in life, you don't you don't just stop wanting for things, do you? Yeah, yeah. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So even if this this created past concluded with or, or contained within it this this request would this fictional past not also stir up a load of other requests yeah yeah well you know that's the thing with lifelong dreams is they're they're always better in the abstract aren't they they're, they're mm. like the reality is i mean they still might be amazing you'd be and you could be happy with this dream job or what have you yeah but you're still going to face you know challenges and conflict in that job but no matter no matter how good it is mm. so the story in the game actually kind of alludes that they they generally only do this when somebody is actually on their deathbed like they they are going to die yes. in a relatively short period of time and then part of the the tension of the game is trying to achieve the wish before he does pass away there's actually a life mm. meter on the top half of the screen it's, i was going to ask about that Mm-hmm. Was that an abandoned mechanic? Because it never changed for me. It seemed to be there purely to tell tell the story. It wasn't. It wasn't on a timer or anything. It becomes more of a, a time frame of which era of the the Johnny you're playing yeah. in the end, isn't it? Kind of. I think the game kind of metamorphoses away a little bit from from the original concept because obviously the story starts to take more of control. But I also I think yeah. I guess the idea is that you wouldn't have time to. You, know, you would you would enjoy your final lifelong wish, but you wouldn't have time to ana- analyze it any deeper than what it is at face value of you just you know falling asleep with a, a smile on your face. But hmm. the game also it it does it does tackle on that. So it's not just you know a lot of the story is it's not they can't just go in there and go well there we go that's you you went to the moon good job. They they have to dig a lot deeper. They have to set up the seed um, right the way back into his early childhood and you know, they, the game starts off them thinking they can just insert the you know the idea of that he went to the moon quite early or quite later on in his life and you know, that for for many reasons which we'll get into doesn't quite pan out so they have to go deeper and deeper back into his psyche so i think it, it kind of it it tackles some of that stuff of you can't just put a, a, a memory in there um i don't think it ever gets as, as deep as probably as, as you're talking about and it doesn't you know, analyze it 
to, to that degree, but it, I think it, it tackles it in its own way without kind of losing the central core of the story mm. of him and his wife, etc. On the subject of the ethical question, though, uh, towards the end of last year or the beginning of this year, it was right around the new year, Ken put out a uh, kind of a holiday episode, which is mm. um, an additional side story which follows Dr. Rosaline and Dr. Watts as they are um, preparing for a holiday party at their workplace. And it it, it does kind of resurrect the, uh, the theme of uh, ethical questioning of whether or not mm. what they're doing this uh, Sigmund Corporation is, is right or wrong. And it, it does kind of, it makes you think of the places that this series could go, the places that these kinds of questions could lead. Like, uh, hmm. is it ethical to replace the memories of a serial killer with something more uh, hmm. more pro-social? And so he doesn't die with guilt. Like, is that an ethical move? Is it ethical to erase somebody's family from their memory to replace it with, uh, you know, being a race car driver. Yeah. And does it even matter? I mean, right. does it ultimately, does it make any difference? They're about to die and your existence is only your perception of, of what's happened to you anyway. It doesn't actually change anything. In, in the game, they do actually touch on that. I, I can't remember if it's Eva or, or Neil that, that um, bring up the question that when they're essentially they're trying to um, wipe out River's assistance from his timeline. Um, I can't remember which one brings up the point like and they're forcibly trying to stop each other because they think it's morally wrong to completely erase somebody um, from someone's you know entire memory but she says uh, he or she says it's the, the way to go um, so there, there is that whole section in there so I, I think these are aspects that they do touch on um, but you know I, I, I honestly hadn't gone down that route of thinking well is it morally right for you know a murderer etc it is interesting there it, it is interesting, but it actually it wasn't what I was um, quite getting at so much, the ethics of it. I mean, in a way, that's partly uh, ruled out because these people are, you know, they are willing, they are paying for the service, they are willing customers. Mm. It was more, I mean, that doesn't necessarily uh, completely answer the ethical quandary, but it, it goes some way towards it, perhaps. I suppose, the, I suppose one ethical question about it might be... Um, you know, ultimately, it, as I say, if if somebody gets to their deathbed, and even if you've successfully planted in their head their their lifelong wish came true, so they believe that they got to the moon, say, um, if that ultimately satisfies them, if it actually makes their their dying, their passing, any if it makes any difference whatsoever. I say why why that is different in in this example, in this game in particular. And obviously, I think we need to say spoiler warning because this is a game that can hundred percent be spoiled. Yeah, that was something I was supposed to say earlier. Yeah, spoiler so, um, warning. Sorry if you've got this far. Yeah, no, I don't think we've revealed think, everything think, yet. So, no. um, but it, in when you say to the moon, it, it sounds so superficial I, I, I want to go to the moon like it's a mm. kid's dream it, you know everyone wants to go to the moon it's, it'd be awesome and cool but it, it's also you know why would you want that on your deathbed and and in this particular instance the the to the moon it, it's not as superficial as that ultimately you know once spoiler warning he he wants to be reunited with his his wife dead wife dead yeah. wife um because there's a scene in the game where ultimately where they're, they're sitting on a bench start you know looking up at the moon and um you know I, can't remember the exact piece of dialogue so if anyone has it but the general premise is it is if we ever uh you know find ourselves apart from each other find me on the moon 
Yeah, it's 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 when they've met as children. Yeah. yeah. So ultimately, his wish isn't just to go to the moon; it's to to travel to the moon to be reunited with his wife, who has yeah. sadly passed. So, and and for me, that's a that's an entirely different context of of what's he after. It's it's merely a you know it's something a, a lot more deeper than just a journey. And what's interesting about that is that at that point in his life, um, it was before he had his memory erased. And so he doesn't even remember the reason why he wants to go to the mm. moon. It's That's just sort right. of embedded on his soul. But I'm sure we'll get to that later. Yeah. Going back to what you were saying, Tony, about like to the moon being kind of like this simple concept to start with i think that's kind of deliberate on the game's mm -hmm. part because i went into this game with uh, no idea about the love story that's kind of at the core of the tale um and i just thought okay so this is inception except instead mm -hmm. of like getting the guy to d liquidate his company sorry spoilers for inception <laughs> um he's gonna uh, they're gonna plant the memory of him going to the moon and i kind of thought that was gonna be it because uh, like the early dialogue kind of felt uh comedic and light-hearted well even riffs on its kind of rpg trappings and settings yeah, it has yeah. the music it has almost a little combat scene it, it, with a yeah. scroll which is ridiculous but but also be quite funny so early on i thought oh okay so is this going to be kind of like a light-hearted comedy game because i actually went into this game knowing very little about what yeah, it is me too apart yeah, from uh, apart from that people liked it so when river came into the story and the story became a you know a lot more emotional and uh, the meaning of the you know the moon and what it represents to this character became um a lot more significant it really caught me off guard and i think it's why this game sticks out to me so much is because a lot of its depth uh is a bit of a shock like you don't expect it coming yeah the, the, we got horribly sidetracked and i was i meant to ask the rest of you about sort of when you played it obviously it's not the usual thing because i'm sure we all played it on pc because that was the only version up until january of this year um but whether you played it at the time and how much you knew about it going in i think is relevant I mean, for me, it was completely superficial. This, I like Josh. I heard people, you know, the general goodwill aimed towards to the moon. I knew that it was a more story driven than anything else, um, and in fact, that that kind of played in a bit more of the frustration I had with some of the game mechanics of the game. Um, but I, the reason I got round to playing it was actually down to, and this is so terrible, was that I was desperate just to play something short. I was, you know, lack of time to play longer games. And yeah. I've got an um, how long to beat kind of calendar set up of you know how long each game takes to beat, and I just yeah. went, "What's the shortest game?" And at and the very top, to the moon, it was like three hours. I was like, "That will do." I've got three hours this evening, and I sit down and play to the moon. And I I think that helped because I had no idea really what I was stepping into, other mm. than it was a story based driven game. And I sat there, and you know, this just so happened that I said, you know, to my wife Liz, you know, do you fancy, you know, just a short story-driven game? She likes story-driven mm. games, and we we played it together. And you know, once again, what what a great idea because you know, two people were mostly attached to yeah. the characters in it. So, I think uh, this is a game where going in without probably without having heard a podcast like this one <laughs> yeah. is well, definitely is is better for a lot of reasons. Um, I'm, I, I think this is this podcast is very much aimed at people who have played it. Uh, because as well as uh, as well as the the plot spoilers, um, 
it is one of those games that everyone says, oh, God, it's so sad. Oh, you're going to cry. Oh, is it? You know, so you're going, going, right, come on then. Come on then. Make me sad. Manipulate me emotionally. No, I'm still not crying. I'm still not. You know, it, I mean, if you're of that mind, I mean, if you if you go in like that, then frankly, I think you're a bit of an idiot. But some people some people do. But even just having that, so, that seed sown, that sort of this is an emotional game um, can be either a turn-off or, or something that you're just constantly looking for, for your buttons to be pushed. And this game has no shame in pushing buttons, uh, and, it, and it is very, you know, it is unapologetically sentimental. Uh, and some people will find it, I think, find it probably too manipulative in places. I guess what is interesting about my story is I, I can't even tell you how I end up acquiring To The Moon. I can only assume that it was a very cheap purchase on Steam. Yeah. Yeah, well, as I say, I think that I think that was gifted to me on Steam, probably when it was in the sale, Christmas winter sales as well. Ryan, what about you? When did you get it and play it? Um, I hadn't heard of it when it originally came out, but I started seeing it on the best of the year uh, year end lists that everyone was putting out. I read an article about it on probably Joystick or Kotaku or one of the sites, and mm. it felt like something that would uh, particularly spark my interests, and so I went to check it out, but. Uh, $15, I think it was, for a game made an RPG maker from a developer that I was completely unfamiliar <laughs> with, felt like a, a little bit too big of a risk. And so kind of ashamedly, yeah. I, I pirated this one, uh, have since bought multiple copies of the game. Uh, after finishing it in one sitting, <laughs> went back and bought it from the site for the full price, bought the soundtrack, just threw as much money as I could at this guy. <laughs> so um, I, I apologize for my uh, initial sin. But you uh, you got you you got you sourced an evaluation copy is what you did <laughs> exactly That's, uh, that, yeah yeah um, and you were mentioning um, in the virtual green room before the <laughs> podcast that you've actually met Kangal yeah actually the packs following this game's release I was really hoping to see him and so I was kind of running all over the show floor trying to see if they had a booth set up you know it's kind of a very small studio uh, and so mm. I wasn't expecting to see them there but it would be nice to run into the guy and actually I had the opportunity to, to uh, meet him at a uh, dinner put on by the extra credits folks and oh, yeah, um, yeah. he walked in the room I kind of thought that he looked like Ken and so I went up and talked to him and it turns out that it was the same guy and so we had a nice chat about all of his games that he'd worked on in the past and kind of threw back and forth some interpretations of his work just a super nice guy and he actually gave me a uh, a boxed copy of the game which was not out oh, okay. at the time and it uh really meant a lot to me and it's still one of my kind of most prized gaming possessions brilliant did you tell him that you pirated it uh, <laughs> i did not <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've uh watched an uh, interview with him online um and he seems like a very uh self-aware and and humble guy mm. um and i think he's also got a lovely voice um and i, I think but i think that self-awareness is crucial it was crucial for me with the game because there were points when I found just some of the the sentiment of the game and the, the, the sort of key changes in the piano chords a little bit too heavy-handed, but then the Dr. Neil Watts character would always be there with a this load of cheesy schmaltz kind of comment. You know, it, like Neil Watts plays the sort of cynic. Um, and for me, the fact that he was in there meant that the game knew that there was... Mm -hmm you know there was an element of that that you know you you're on 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 golden pond territory kind of thing um and that can be a, a slightly uncomfortable place and and because that was there i think that helped me get more um I, I, it actually 
let my barriers down to to any mm. anything that I perceived as schmaltz and you know the scene the scene where they're dancing on the eve of their wedding in the lighthouse and that sort of thing yeah I can't you know like there's part of me which is trying to be you know cool about it but there's another part of me who's going oh it's so sweet <laughs> <laughs> As far as the way that Dr. Watts is written particularly, uh, you can tell that this is a game that was written by one guy without a copy editor, which in most cases yeah. is, you know, you definitely want to have a few eyes look at it. But for a game like this is like perfect. Like you just want one voice that uh, yeah. that can just say and have the freedom to say however cheesy and however sometimes inappropriate things that it has to say. The, the squabbly relationship uh, between the two doctors is is quite harsh at points. Like, you think mm. it's just banter, um, but they're really, really rude to each other. But <laughs> then after a while, you kind of realise that it is it is that sort of workplace mm. banter that you have with people you're very close with. It's not... You can't really tell at first because, obviously, these are just, you know, 2D 16-bit sprites with speech boxes. So you've got no, you've got no facial expressions to go on particularly. You know, I know you can convey a lot with those. I mean, Square, you know, Square did it. Um, but it takes a while to understand the relationship that that they have. But by the end, you know they they've kind of well they sort of almost admit to being closer than that. But you you, you understand. I think they're absolutely uh, essential for this story as well because just going back to what you were saying about um, having these characters kind of helped you accept the more sentimental stuff. I think for me it was just great to have some variety because I I think a lot of games that go for this kind of, um, you know, sentimental tale uh, tend to lay it on thick and just stick with the one tone, whereas To the Moon varies up the tone quite a lot. So there will be some moments in the game that are actually pure comedy Mm. Um, but others that are just you know pure drama and I like that because that that's that's the kind of writing mm-hmm. that we don't really see in video games a lot mm. where they're not afraid to vary up the uh, the emotional tone of the the scenes that uh, proceed it's it's I think it's really cleverly constructed because of that yeah it, weirdly it doesn't feel jarring in that you know sometimes tone leaping around can be a real problem for me with narrative. Uh, not just in games, in, in, in all sorts of media, but somehow here it works. I think maybe that's partly because of the fact that, it, apart from a couple of cutscenes which which have pictures, you know, um, larger larger pictures, it is all told in, in these, you know, almost uh, square 16-bit style graphics. How much do you think the, the, the narrative being ultimately reversed helps for that as well? You know, you ultimately know... The, the, you know, how the story pans out, not to the very end, but you, you have a good, <laughs> he's on his deathbed, and seeing how things fall into place backwards, you, you, you're kind of more intrigued to, to see what his childhood was like and, and how that pieces together forwards. I think if it was just told all forwards, it would be maybe a bit too, I don't know, formulaic is probably the wrong word, but just a bit, maybe a, the, the smaltzy factor would probably be a bit too heavy. But the fact that they, they need to kind of break down the memories helps in that way a little bit. There is something I've never quite worked out why it's so powerful and effective, but there is something um, that is that works with non-linear 
mm. timelines. Well, it's fragmented memories, isn't it? It's piecing together. Yeah. I and mean, it's ultimately, a, a, you know, any like murder mystery and stuff, isn't it? I mean, even though if they're thought, you, you're finding things from the past and trying to piece together wh- why, you know, why the person is the way they is. I mean, in this case, that he's on his deathbed and that's a pretty good place to start with any story. So to mm. piece back to that, then to have the issues yeah. of his wife, um, yeah. etc. So... I'm not saying that any you you can take any old rubbish and uh, make it good by adding a non-linear narrative, but I think you know maybe in the case of like some of Tarantino's stuff, he's he takes a, a fairly bog standard thing and makes it yeah. much more fun. But then you obviously got Gaspar Noe's Irreversible and Memento and things like that, which perhaps you know like there's that famously on Memento that that Chris Nolan included the well the. Uh, I think I think it was in the second DVD release. There's a there's an Easter egg, isn't there, where you can watch it in chronological <laughs> order? I believe so. Yeah. yeah, you have to press start at exactly the right point on the right screen or something. But um, and I, I've never done that. But I, I wonder, you know, do, is the film actually just less interesting because your brain isn't having to do those sorts of gymnastics? Whereas, you know, all the, all the time today, I should say, you know, like um, my history with this game compared to the uh, 23 years of playing Street Fighter 2 and the hundreds of hours of research I put into the previous podcast. Uh, this one, I, <laughs> I played it today. You know, I played it for four hours. I'm still, I'm still processing it. But for me, so you know, it's very fresh in my mind. And a lot of the fun was that thing of trying to piece together. You know, it, it's not hugely complex, no. and the characters are quite good at, at giving you obvious exposition. But it is that sort of, oh, yeah, because they later had that thing. And then you sometimes forget because you're seeing something happening before when it actually happened after. There's that whole sort of, oh, yeah. Um, and it just that extra bit of effort somehow engages you a bit more. And it is quite fascinatingly written as well. Um, even though we're given the answer before the riddle, so to speak, mm. it does manage to be deceptive at about every turn. Um, yeah. And... I'd like to point to one of my favorite examples from the game. Uh, towards the very beginning, you are tasked with exploring Johnny's house just to learn a little bit more about him so that you can have some idea of the mind that you're going into. And the things that you stumble upon are um, a little creepy and a little disturbing. You, mm. you find his his sheet music that he wrote for the piano, which looks like it's just two notes over and over again, which is a little bit yeah. like jack torrency like the shining all work and no yeah, play yeah. kind of deal yeah, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. like is this guy all right and then you find rooms full of origami uh, mm-hmm. bunny rabbits which yeah it kind of feels like you're walking into the room of a heavy rain character and you're you know, <laughs> just discovering like this guy actually might be dangerous this guy's probably entirely unhinged but then you go back in time and you learn that all of these things actually have a really sweet meaning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose, well, let's uh, talk briefly, at least. We, obviously, we've mentioned the graphics a few times, um, and I'm sure we'll come back to the music again. Um, the, the actual interface for the game, um, now, I, I mostly play this with mouse until, uh, you know, so it plays effectively like a point-and-click crossed with an old-school RPG. It reminded me of uh, Konami's Suikoden in that you can't even walk in diagonals uh and really interaction is just a case of clicking on stuff there's uh, although it is a point and click adventure in the sense that you find objects sometimes you pick things up most often you just click on stuff and really is it there's not sort of you haven't got a you have an inventory but you, you at no point do you 
you know, find item in inventory, combine item mm. with other item. It, it's fairly much straightforward. The only puzzles worthy of the name really are the actual. Um, so uh, in each scene, you have to uh, compile a, a collection of memories with which to open a gate to previous memories. Um, and that opens up a little sort of grid based flip pile uh, flip tile puzzle yeah um and those are quite fun that you know most of them were f fairly straightforward i think one of them took me quite a few more moves than the mm -hmm. ideal because i think i got off to the wrong start but generally they were but they were they were fun and it felt that was a bit of a, a gamey bit and there's a gamey bit towards the end where um you're actually you know running through a corridor um as uh, dr watts and uh, dr rosaline's trying to prevent you and suddenly you've got like a fire button <laughs> things like yeah. that it's very odd but you know it's it's really um mechanically uns hugely unsophisticated yeah. and occasionally yeah. there are bits where like there are two things you need to click on where you can't really tell that there's two things there because the cursor doesn't change and those are those are some issues i think those moments for me felt like the game was a bit insecure about itself like it had to add those moments just to say, look, yeah, we're a game, and I and I c would kind of prefer if it just was just an interactive short story rather than yeah. it trying so hard to justify its existence. Can himself, he says that you know to to view this, you know, not necessarily as a game, not necessarily as a book, not necessarily as a film. Like it, it just to view it on its own thing. You hear that a lot of with people developing different types of games now, where they're trying to amalgamate all the different you know entertainment properties into to one thing and and just see it for what it is. I I think and that and that's all well and good. I oh I I do believe that's the right attitude to have. I think the the problem is that you need to then have the game section not to be any kind of barrier at all. And there was multiple times where I got caught on just corners of scenery where it looked like you could quite easily go there because you can't do diagonals, you have to walk it straight into something, which means you'd have to just river yeah. a little bit up and then go around. And that stuff... 2D trees, you can't tell whether they... Yeah, little rocks on the ground, the which path. you can't get past, yeah. stuff like that. And it's a small thing, and really when the story is, is as good as it is, it shouldn't frustrate, but I found every time that I was taken out of the, the simple, you know, follow the narrative stuff, I felt mm. a little bit taken out of the story because the mechanics themselves weren't as as robust as I think a game yeah, like this yeah. needed. Would you have preferred, um, you know, classic point-and-click style walk two? So I think it would have done no harm. Straight there. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it would have taken anything away. I, I also... I think the I, I like the idea of finding elements of you know the, the mementos around the apartments to piece together a puzzle. But then I then I found the puzzle stuff also disengaged me a little bit from what the point was. Like they they never maybe it was just me. Maybe I missed some of the the you know why the why the puzzles were there. But quite often the puzzles would once again just a I don't know they were literally a barrier, but a barrier that I once again took me a little bit out of the context of enjoying the story and I wonder if the story was weaker I would have maybe enjoyed those aspects but it wasn't so I found those aspects catching me up every now and again and being like oh, I just just want oh, another puzzle oh, okay <laughs> um, no I, I totally agree with you the only thing I'd say was uh, was that uh, if the story was worse than it is I think I'd be a lot more a lot more would you have got to the end yeah moments. Yeah. Um, because I, what you were saying just then, Tony, like th there's so little context for those puzzles other than 
well, we needed some game bits in this game. It's like the, yeah, and, the Assassin's uh, Creed this seemed appropriate. sections yeah. where you, you know, you're finding glyphs and stuff, and like you're trying to piece them all together. In the end, and you get one big reveal at the end that makes sense. But a lot of the way, it's just like, okay. But there's the game's so short that it, it feels like it's something that is padding out the experience. I, I'm willing to suffer through them yeah. simply because the narrative is so, so strong that it doesn't bother me as much. But, I really uh, didn't find any of them that painful either. It's not like one of those games that feels like... Well, it wasn't to me one of those games that feels like it's trying to actually make it harder for you to progress. Like, there were there were some minor, minor irritations. I think it probably comes from RPG make, Maker Engine. It's, you know... The, yeah, to, for sure. But there, there, it was. It wasn't like it suddenly threw in like you know stealth sections with oh, fail no. states or anything like that. There's just little, little foib- minor foibles. I would say it wasn't challenging. It was more that um, I don't know. I struggled to understand why they were there, and they weren't interesting in of themselves. Mm. So if this game wasn't as well, I think what I'm trying to say is, if this game wasn't as well written as it clearly is, I probably would have stopped playing because of those puzzles, because they just didn't engage me in any way, despite how mm. easy and al- they al- are. Also because it's done scene to scene, I, I don't think it would have taken anything away from the game if I'd come into the scene, um, analyse where I was, and then find you know each memento around the room that links that scene together with what I'm trying to achieve. I just think the puzzles was that extra layer that wasn't really needed. And every time they came up, I was like, ah, okay, I'll, I'll do the puzzle, but I don't know why. Um, and maybe, like I say, yeah. maybe you know somebody could tell me there was more to those puzzles and I was just you know, <laughs> blindly miss, no, not, missing the no, point. No, I mean, it was always about the, the text, you know, the, the, the inter... Mm. It, I mean, there were, there were some, like, where you would just be walking through a room and clicking on things, but the ones where there were there was a scene a small scene a vignette attached to them they were normally you know some some in some way important or relevant okay, well, I, I guess what i'm saying is maybe because this is a a you know a story more of a story than anything else um i feel like having those slightly more gamey aspects if i i could take this game and even with the slightly you know standing on rocks and getting caught in scenery that you know you can forgive it that because the way it was where it's been developed but i think if i could just give this game to you know say my mother essentially she could master those certainly if there's a point and click where they just moved around the environment and she could you know soak in the story and elements etc but i think the the extra puzzle elements were just a, a section of gaminess that wasn't really required in this title and i think it probably would have been better without it making it a bit more open but i think there was a, yeah. a fear of you know, at that point, you know, do you get in the argument? Well, is it just literally a, you know, you point and you look at story? <laughs> and we've had that yeah. argument so many times on previous episodes. It, it's probably not worth having again. But you know, I, I've taken a lot out of those games. We've decided as as a, as an entity at Kane Rinse that we don't really, care. you know, yeah. we don't care. <laughs> we 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 talk about games that we want to talk about. And if somebody else wants to tell us they're not a game, then fine. You're allowed to call it whatever you want it, but. You know, if if it's a an it's an interactive that, yeah. piece of electronic attain- entertainment, then we're probably willing to, you know, to cane and rinse it. Um, yeah, I mean, this is I would I would say this probably, yeah, this has gamey elements, but it's I mean, you have to solve puzzles to progress ultimately, so therefore it is a game, mm-hmm. uh, ludologically speaking. But uh, but it might as well be a it might as well be an interactive. Story. How about you, Ryan? Did you any of those elements? Yeah. Yeah, you know, actually, I do really appreciate the um, 
parts of the game where you're walking around the environment and trying to find items to break through a barrier because they mm. not only allow you to spend a little bit more time at your own leisure just exploring and taking in the environments, which are always very richly detailed and finely crafted and really feel alive for something that's created in RPG Maker, uh, but they also uh, they give you a certain attachment to these items like just as a player mm. when you see the uh when you see the bottle of pickled olives you're happy to see it because you're like oh that's going to be a point it's going to give me something it always gives me something uh, <laughs> they even comment on that yeah. the platypus yeah. right right and it's like oh every time we see this it's a it's a free pass kind of thing yeah so it, it yeah. kind of uh, it strengthens my own connection to these items in a strange way Hmm. I like that aspect of the gameplay, the um, the item hunt, because it felt like each item had significance to the plot and it was kind of drawing your attention to these items yeah. as a player. Mm -hmm. But I what I what I'm what I take issue with is like when you're going in between memories, it has the yeah. the flip puzzle things, mm. which I I find a bit unnecessary. But, one yeah. one that disappointed me somewhat was uh, after you've you've done your night's work. Um, we'll talk some, some more about the story. Don't don't worry. Um, and uh, you have to kind of uh, create a link between the most uh, the 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 most recent memory and the furthest back memory to well, seal the deal basically um and that to me looked like it was going to be a really interesting puzzle so there's like um squares with items on the corners that uh are things that were relevant in that era uh, of johnny's life um and i thought oh this is going to be this is going to be like a real meaty puzzle you're going to have to like slide things around and they're going to have to interlock in different directions and um, but it really wasn't. You just had to rotate a couple, a square like two once or twice in each. And you, I thought, oh, you're going to have to link all these up in one go. But no, it was really, <laughs> really stupidly straightforward. Um, and that, like, although I didn't want to get stuck, especially as I was playing the game on the day of recording the podcast, <laughs> I would have really appreciated like a, a more challenging, but ultimately satisfying puzzle at that point. Just me. It was interesting because. You have you've literally just played the game where we're all sitting on memories that we played the game, you know, a relatively long time ago. How appropriate! Yeah, exactly. Um, or have I just put? Those so, so it's interesting, you know, from my perspective, remembering a game kind of from from that period is that it's that you know those puzzles stick out as something that was more of annoyance than enjoyment, and it may have just been that I've forgotten entirely what was inside those puzzles, and that's the residing memory that I have from them. Mm. Um, you know, maybe a, a second play and a, a more recent play. Some of that stuff would have formulated more together, if uh, or cohered more together, if I'd played the game, you know, multiple times. Mm. Yeah, things like the uh, sort of almost mini game stuff. There's a, there's a festival scene uh, which is from when uh, Johnny and River, his ultimate wife, are uh, children, and it plays. Uh, it's very much like a, it looks like an homage to Chrono Trigger. Um, but there's a whack-a-mole game in there, which is perfectly fine. It's mouse-controlled, ideally. And it's very, very easy to get a really high score. But those sections and the section towards the end where uh, Eva is trying to um, stop Neil from catching up to her because she has this this grand plan, which we'll talk about, um, where you're you're supposedly avoiding kind of zombie zombie, uh, zombie Eva's, zombie Eva's um, and spikes in the floor. Now, as far as I could work out, there was no... There was no fail state to that. You could get spiked backwards and and held up by uh, the zombies, but I never got killed. You just got to get speed to catch her, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it it 
it took it took no time. I never failed. There was no game over screen that I could find. So they felt to me like the kind of the equivalent of like a, a turret section in a in a shooter, just to you know kind of change the pace, break things up. I guess from yeah, once again from my and me and Josh's point of view, that that stuff works really well because it's integrated within you know the plane of the story itself. You know, the story is in, in more interactive at that point. So segregating out into you know just puzzles feels maybe a little bit abstract. Maybe that maybe that is the point. <laughs> the mind isn't just quite like that. Maybe it is a bit more abstract. Well, definitely not. So yes, we should head back into the story then. Um, so uh, we start off by, uh, as we say, with with Doctor Watson, Rosaline, um, sifting back through Johnny's memory to try to find the point that inspired him to uh, want to go to the moon. But um, but something goes wrong ultimately um, at the end of is it the end of Act One or the end of Act? I forget. There's three acts. Um, but I guess this is the kind of one, the first twist really is that, uh, it doesn't go to plan. It doesn't work because. Well, they're never, never able to find a point in his life when he actually wants to go to the moon. Yeah. They, they expect it to be a very simple task to, uh, just be able to pinpoint that location where he makes that decision that I want to go to the moon, but even, you know, only going a couple weeks back from the point at which he made this deathbed request. He says, yeah. um, uh, I don't know, the moon seems cool, but I've never really had any sort of particular uh, inclination to go there. Yeah, uh, and they go through a rather comedic sequence of events where they're desperately trying to inspire the young Johnny <laughs> to uh, to want to go to the moon by uh, arranging all sorts of... Um, uh, have uh, have them turn up pretend, masquerading as NASA recruitment agents and uh, making him go and see films about going to the moon and yeah. all sorts of all sorts of stuff and and uh, and nothing works because he hasn't had this particular uh, they haven't been able to uh, recall this particular he hasn't been able to recall this particular experience uh, which is broken off um, due to it turns out his uh, his mother giving him beta blockers to um, suppress his awful memories of the time she backed the car over his twin brother. Happy. Which was, well, yeah. Um, we don't really, it, it's interesting because the game doesn't really dwell on, it, it mentions the grief of the mother in passing, but doesn't really dwell on it. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Uh, and it certainly doesn't dwell on the grief of uh, John about his brother Joey because uh, it's pretty much been 
um, ruled out. There's there's a, there's an instant earlier uh, earlier as in later in his life where his uh, mother it's at it's at his wedding, isn't it? To River, and his his grey haired mother is there and refers to him as Joey. Obviously, uh, a slip of the tongue. Um, it's not. I suppose it's not quite clear whether she actually uh, kind of remembers mm-hmm. wrong or or is it's just you know just one of those things but um that's explained away as oh i call i call my son johnny after his grandfather joey <laughs> which see it's like what really that's weird um but yes yeah, so it turns out that, that that there were twins and um the sci- i don't know what the, if the science around this is 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 accurate in any way the probably the not beta blockers <laughs> thing. like i mean i've you know i've i've had beta blockers before for stress but there was no mention of them um, <laughs> like, well, you may not remember previous events in your life so much, but I guess you know it might depend when things happen. It sounds like he was given a very, very large dose, like specifically to incur right. memory damage. Yeah, um, I mean the game. So the game sort of set in the future. Uh, we can tell because when they're children, they have um, there's repeated references to the Animorphs series of books, which were around in the uh, mid to late nineties. Um, making the game set some point probably in the 2040s or 50s, I think. Yeah. Is that about right? Um, and there's various nods to future technology. And, and why do you drive this old car? Yeah, 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 that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so um, somebody take up the reins and sort of uh, try to explain how this kind of affects things uh well, concurrently to this entire story, we should also mention the other very important narrative element, which is the character of River, which River, is his wife. Um, I guess she is at some point in his life and is not at other points, uh, obviously. Yes. Um, but she is this strange, mysterious woman who seems, uh, because the entire game is being uh, viewed through Johnny's memories, through his perspective, mm. She seems strangely aloof and strangely just not engaged with the world, um, has a kind of unusual personality and priorities. And it's, it's mm-hmm. really hard to kind of um, to understand her as a character until a little bit further on when we're given a better explanation. But what were your first uh, initial impressions of River? I kind of guessed early on that she might be on the spectrum. Um this is the and, autism spectrum. Yeah, and uh, yeah, listeners sorry. who don't know. And um, and it turns out, like later, there's a scene with a doctor where she's diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, um, which which I, I didn't find too surprising. But the thing that I really liked about her character is that it felt like a very uh, realistic um, interpretation of that condition. I don't know how many of our listeners or you guys on this podcast have have been in contact with people who are on the autism spectrum, but um, most people have, will will have known yeah, at yeah. least one. Yeah, person. I'd, I'd known one person the very the very wrong end of autism, which is a real shame. Yeah. But carry on. But um, I, I do think um, media in general, not all media, but some media kind of overplay it kind of over exaggerate it a lot mm. where whereas especially with asperger's some of the uh symptoms can be quite subtle um mm. and you won't notice it uh notice um 
much of it unless you spend like a, a long amount of time with that person. Mm. And I think the this game really captures that. Like, like River isn't a. It's not immediately obvious that uh, she's on the spectrum, but you can. They give you clues and hints and stuff like yeah. that. And, and Johnny's definitely not immediately aware. And, and it just feels like it's it's very natural. Just the discovery of it. It, it doesn't feel like they they were hammering you over the head with it. Like lesser stories would do um it's funny josh because i i I wasn't there straight away i i just i saw her as quite a a quirky girl but you know clearly has trouble um you know mixing with people around her in in, within her own year group because they are children at that point um and it's it's interesting actually because johnny falls in love i think less with river and more with the quirkiness of what she she is which is kind of it's it's kind of odd because he i don't he didn't really he doesn't really like i never say he doesn't really like her but he, he likes what she is kind of mm. it makes sense yeah. well he finds her fascinating yeah. you know she she's she, it's almost like because she's you know she doesn't express uh affection that easily um that's almost kind of you know it's more of a challenge in a mm. way and it's um uh, you know and she she's retains all these facts and it's just like she's got there's almost there's there's an enigma to her which is attractive in itself but yeah it's not actually it's not the you know they don't have that same they can't have that same sort of closeness in a way but the, the funny thing is another it, couple it might. leaves you thinking that Johnny's maybe a little bit of an ass as a kid <laughs> Yeah, um, I think they pretty much say yeah, that. Yeah, like yeah, you know, yeah, just just that. But you know, a character where you know you essentially you you kind of, I guess you not that you're playing that character, but that he's your first you know interaction with you know with this world. Um, that you think you know, you should have some sympathy why he's on his death deathbed, and you kind of go back in time and realise that he certainly as a kid is a you know a bit of a prick. Um, but for reason, it, but it is interesting with the the whole Aspergius angle. I, I think the reason. Um, it's a difficult uh, condition to understand, just because the spectrum is so so vast and wide. You know, it, it is you know can be quite you know non apparent to some some degree, and then it can be very very you know deadly at the at the other end. I I think I think in some ways Aspergers can be one of the more difficult ones to uh, on the autism spectrum to deal with because it's actually so close to just everyone else if you know what i mean because it, it is one of the more manageable um forms of autism to deal with but um i, I don't know i i think i i find this really difficult to talk about because i really i really aware of how easily it is to just uh, offend somebody and i really don't want to do that i i want to you know come across as understanding i i i just i think the game does a good job of expressing the frustration on Johnny's part of feeling that River is so close to being um like like everyone else but um I I don't I I I I worry about the way I'm phrasing that I'm sorry I, th- I um, think I think I think you've yeah I think everyone knows what you mean and I don't think no I don't think that's offensive in itself I hope okay. it's not anyway um but well uh, interesting um my uh, friend's first child uh, is uh, has some uh, form of autism, and it's quite interesting talking about you know like how you know they've 
learn to deal with it and how they now view it and they actually you know they're they're people with very you know um well developed and dark sense of humor normally um and uh but since since their son has has been diagnosed they 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 seem to and they they've they've made comments about the fact that they've noticed how many people of our generation you know we're all at school in the 70s and 80s um, were probably undiagnosed. Mm. Like, there's probably way more people around yeah, with Asper- yeah, yeah. Asperger's than, than than we ever realised. And now they have a thing where, uh, you know, and this is deliberately non-PC on their part, um, that they, you know, they describe some of our friends as a bit aughty because it's like just certain behaviours and certain manners in, in social situations and things like that. It's like, yeah, you would totally... There, are, I think there's way more people around. I mean, you know, it's something that even the medical world doesn't perhaps fully understand yet, and it may be a long way off. But there's a lot of people with a lot of traits of this. But it's mm. interesting to see them uh, portrayed in this way. That is, you know, I think she she's a more um, sympathetic character than Johnny. Really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I said when you get introduced, her, she she becomes the the main focus, kind of your your story that you you want to know more about river than johnny because johnny comes but more of a yeah. bit prick right. and you're like yeah well you know she's really interesting um so let's let's yeah, follow yeah. her <laughs> i i think that's an important point though that there's more to her than mm-hmm. asperger's mm-hmm. like she is a three-dimensional character she's not defined by something out outside her control yeah and uh, that, that that's part of the reason why I I think we're so drawn into this relationship, is that River is really well written character. Mm. Um, she's the best character in the game by far. I think I don't know if you guys would agree with me on that, but I I just I found myself more compelled by finding out about her life and what what's going to happen to her and her relationship with Johnny than actually Johnny's ultimate I, I think fate. actually in that early stage as well, is I think that the, the yeah. veneer of childhood, she doesn't really have. She just says the way that, you know, she sees things in life where you know, Johnny's yeah. basically playing a game, seeing how, you know, what kind of whether he can pull her or not. And it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I found interesting about River is, uh, you know, my education and my work is in the mental health field. And so I, I was able to pick up that it's Asperger's going on here pretty quickly, but they, and so I was kind of waiting for them to come out and say that, but they never do. They never use the term Asperger's. They use a, no, they, they reference no. Tony Atwood. Do they, do they not? Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Tony Atwood and, and, and she goes for equine therapy, mm-hmm. um, which is, which is a, you know, a recommended thing. Um, but yes, you, you're quite right. I think somebody at some point says a neuro something. Neurotypical uh, is uh, what her sister refers to. Everyone oh, okay. else has. So her, her sister also has Asperger's, right. uh, but was just diagnosed earlier in life. And so she had more of an opportunity to uh, uh, yeah. kind of learn how to act. Um, yes. So the inference, that's right. So the inference is there's neuro atypical. Um, yeah. Which yeah, it was kind of a weird concept in itself. Jumping around the story a bit, but it, 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 the dialogue with her sister at that point is, is really interesting because there's, there's like a, I think it's a conversation. I don't know if it is it with Johnny at that point she has that mm-hmm. um maybe it was just somebody else. But the, she talks about how that you know because she's an actor that she can ultimately yeah. you know she plays a part in her everyday life um, mm. that and ultimately doesn't admit to many people around her what condition she has because she's such a good actor in real life that she's used that ultimately as a job. 
Um, and in a way, she envies her sister because her sister, you know, hasn't taken that ability on. So she's just purely, you know, normal. In 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 what she sees as normal, she's just being who she is, and and hasn't had mm. hasn't hasn't had to put a veneer over her own life, which her sister feels actually a, a, a tag guilty. She's envious, yeah, and envious. yeah, but she's yeah. she's done that to herself, and actually has yeah. um you know had to mould herself to to suit society around her. So it, it's a, it's a really good conversation. And she finds this uh, this act of constantly portraying an image that doesn't necessarily reflect who she is on the inside to be extremely yeah. tiresome, which is uh, mm-hmm. very typical of people who are um, experiencing and trying to deal with various mental conditions, is that it's just so uh, so much work and so much constant effort that you have to put into just trying to blend in with everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is this is not a, a poor me thing, but I've, I've mentioned it before. I am suffer of anxiety and depression and all that sort of thing. And, and that conversation, although you know, I've never been diagnosed with any form of autism, that conversation rang very true. Just that that thing where you are playing a part. Do you remember who she has that conversation with, Ryan? It's they're around a table with I believe it's Johnny, Johnny and maybe her husband, Nicholas, as well. Because yes. isn't it is jumping around the story, but let's just do it anyway. But, um, That's fine. Isn't it really referred into the game that although Johnny, you know, ultimately marries River, that he he never truly understands River for who she is, and that that, that conversation kind of opens up uh, maybe a, a door that he didn't see yeah. there previously. Yeah, well, that's a very um, important point in her story is that the way that she dies is refusing medical treatment for a uh, yeah. for an unrelated condition, not not the Aspergers, but the, something that was threatening her life. And um, she instead wishes to uh, forgo medical treatment and have that money that they would have spent on her own treatment instead go towards finishing the house so that the lighthouse, which is, uh, um, you know, Asperger's and people on the autism spectrum typically have um, things that they tend to obsess about, things that they tend to hold very dear that, um, you know, other people might not. And she's just very dedicated to that that one lighthouse on the cliffside and she wanted that to be taken care of rather than prolong her own life so he just throws himself entirely into building that house for her doesn't it? and ultimately she dies yeah. before its completion if i remember right which he kind of holds against her as well he's not happy <laughs> about that decision at any point in the process yeah do you think the uh, they have the conversation as children about all the stars being lighthouses you know which again could sound very twee almost saccharine in the wrong hands but i think here it it's it was all right for me but do you think the obsession with lighthouses came from her looking at the stars or do you think she already had the lighthouse obsession and then looked at the stars and thought of them as distant i think it goes deeper into her character um we mentioned earlier that johnny really liked river because she was very different and she really wanted to stand out but there are various points throughout the story where we understand that river really wanted the opposite of that she just wanted to fit in and be like everybody else Mm. and she felt that that struggle inside of her and so really these characters were moving in opposite directions and she studied lighthouses and viewed the stars as lighthouses because Mm. they were all the same and because they were all um kind of conformed to a single pattern and there's a, a line in the game and i don't have it written down exactly word for word but Johnny's asking her, you know, why would you want to be just one of a sea of people, just one of, you know, all those thousands of identical spots of light in the sky? And she says, just because they're the same doesn't mean that they're not pretty. 
Mm. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. To go way back to where we got onto this um, <laughs> tangent, maybe, um, but that don't the beta blockers um, ultimately block out that memory, the, the first meeting or that memory mm. of them being together as kids. So their yeah. meeting ultimately on on the lighthouse uh, pier is the thing that you know, he cherishes most, and, and she does as well. So I think that's probably why why it's there and why that that whole memory section is is lost in the first place. And that's actually one of the great tragedies that is displayed in the game is that um, River throughout the entire game is doing all of these actions to try to remind Johnny of this instance when they were children, when they made this promise. Um, she is folding the origami rabbits all the time because it's supposed to remind him of the moon and it's supposed to remind him of that that time that they shared on that log. And she's not able to, you know, because of the Asperger's just has difficulty coming out straight out and saying, you know, this is what I want you to remember. But she's doing all of these things to try to get him to remember this instance. And there's no greater tragedy than two lovers that are separated by some distance. Mm. And in this case, the distance that's separating them is entirely, uh, is entirely mental. It's both River's condition and johnny's experience with the beta blockers destroying his memory yeah and ultimately the the involvement of uh of dr rosaline kind of well in johnny's mind anyway not in reality but uh kind of addresses this situation um and ultimately um because of her independent decision away from dr watts's uh wishes um she kind of rejigs, rejigs the past, so he kind of ends up with the best of both worlds in a way. But I think it's important to mention that um, until the very end, you you don't realise that's what she's done. You think she's actually True. erased River from his memory altogether. Yeah. And for those moments, um, I, I I don't because Johnny was panicking, like because he basically felt like these memories of River. Uh, were more valuable to him than this fantasy of going to the moon mm. and he felt that it was more like morally wrong mm. for them to take away these memories of river from him because of how important she was to him but uh, later it's revealed obviously rosaline has rejigged things so yeah he gets the best of both worlds where he eventually meets river in this you know NASA. apollo <laughs> whatever yeah apollo 27 uh, program mm. <laughs> going up into the moon and that that's that moment is really impactful because it misleads you because it makes you think that river has actually been completely erased from his mind yeah. Well, it's it's a gamble uh, that that she's willing to take, um, yeah. and obviously, uh, from the game point of view, you've kind of got at this point, you've got almost, I suppose, you could almost consider it a false ending. Um, it's not really, but it, but it, I felt like okay, here we go. Um, the song kicks in, everything's all right, um, and there's a montage of uh, Johnny's childhood with his twin brother Joey being. Basically, as far as in Johnny's mind, uh, Johnny's memory is concerned, is, you know, he now suddenly has this uh, fulsome, you know, childhood with with his brother, but without this love interest. Um, but, uh, you know, and at that point, because, you know, the, the song comes in and it's very sweet and, you know, she had me, even though at that point you don't know that um, that she's got something planned with River, it still felt like a... 
like a satisfying compromise? I don't know. I didn't feel satisfied by even the ending no. that I was provided. Um, and this was, you know, my second playthrough, and so I kind of knew what to what to mm. expect. But uh, I felt it was a little dubious that they brought Joey back. They kind of replaced River with a slightly different person, and so like they kind of they still did erase the real River and just kind of replaced yeah, it yeah. with a fake River. And they kind of, you know, Frankenstein together this this Joey who <laughs> is dead, but now he has uh, now Johnny has memories of this dead brother existing alongside of him for his entire life. I don't know. The whole thing felt a little like I don't know. Do you think that the the song is almost meant to be ironic? Then, as it, you know, rather than uh, genuine and heartfelt and meant, there's almost a kind of archness to it, like saying. Uh, everything's not all right, you know. This is this this is all very sweet, but it's it's too idealistic, and life needs to have, you know, pain and suffering in it. Of course, which the beta blockers had gone some way to mask anyway. I mean, I, I I saw it slightly differently. I mean, ultimately, you you know what the story is. I mean, the the story doesn't actually change, although hmm. they've implanted this memory into him. I think as the player, you you know the truth. You know how it it panned out, and you know some of it's. A little bit ugly some of it's rather sweet and that's the story i was engaged with the the way they ended up panning and you know having formulating this story at the end i kind of just saw that as part of okay well you know maybe they achieved their goal but i i wasn't interested in that i was more interested in the fact that how the real life stuff panned out and there's just this nice little you know fluff bit at the end but I, i was more you know emotionally engaged to see how you know those characters all interacted and how i'd gone well real life you know how real life's panned out from the very beginning it's that nothing's changed nothing nothing changes in real life whatsoever you do go through the the kind of like the, the roller coaster of thinking johnny's a bit of a prick but then he's not but then he doesn't really understand and, and feeling you feel the sorrow of river maybe being more alone even though she's you know you know in a relationship and married to this person and you know, there's few people out there. Like all that stuff is the stuff I engage with, and the actual kind of inception fantasy element stuff. I I just kind of took as a yeah, well, yeah, they 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 achieved a job, and ultimately, that's how it it pans out. But this isn't a time travel tale. This, this they're not actually changing the past. That's a, a crucial no. thing, and it's not the Matrix either. You know, no one's coming out and finding out the real world's actually different. All this is this is only somebody's memories mm-hmm. that are being. Um, you know, and obviously that, you know, opens up whole philosophical questions about, you know, what are we? And, uh, you know, because all we are, are are a bunch of experiences. You take that away. We're nothing, um, depending on your belief set, possibly. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but um, that is, you know, ultimately all we have is is, is our perception of things. And, and so as far as Johnny was concerned, you know, his real life was now something else. But, no, the, you know, the re- in the real world, you see the real world after the end credits. There, there they are at, at his grave. He died. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all that's changed. <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I, I don't know. I, uh, I kind of get what Ryan's saying, and ultimately, I, I still agree with Neil Watts's uh, original thought that it was mm. wrong to <laughs> take away these mem- these memories of his relationship with this mm. this woman, because ultimately, like. 
we have all these dreams and like blah 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 I want this job or I want to climb Everest or blah 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 it's our relationships with people that actually make life worthwhile Mm -hmm. and I think his relationship with River was far more meaningful than going up into the moon and um, for him to only see her like at, at like a later point in his life and miss out on all those early memories but his relationship was in his head was re- not replaced but he now had a relationship with his twin brother this well this goes into a question i <laughs> i don't know whether the relationship with her is the equal to the relationship Mm. he had with his brother because i mean ultimately he didn't really have a relationship with his brother because he died so young we we come back to the yeah we come back to the almost the ethical question here because this is basically they're creating something which is false but again johnny has you know given them this request and which they you know is pointed out that for whatever reason is legally binding that they have to they have to do what they say they're going to do when it comes to this so they they are you know she's saying we we can't actually do what you're suggesting dr watson and leave leave him with the memory of his relationship because the only way we can get him to the moon is to is to is to change that of course she does she is playing slightly fast with the truth because she feels that she has a way of manipulating a a compromise i suppose is is the i just uh, the, the fact that we're having this conversation is is the highlight anyway is that you know this game yeah, you know yeah. it brings that experience and that we can have a you know a slightly deeper conversation the ending we need we obviously need to talk about that so the compromise is that as we've already mentioned um whether it's whether it's directly through dr rosaline's uh fiddling (laughs) or whether it's you know for some people you might believe in destiny and fate that you know two people are destined to come together which i personally think is utter nonsense but um that happens they meet at nasa rather than in childhood in his memory this is of course bear that in mind and ultimately they qualify as astronauts together and they get to go to the moon together this is all in johnny's mind remember this did not happen um but there's you know there's a sequence people are watching on the bridge and there's a sunset and uh and and they go up and and it's all you know and on the ship johnny and river hold hands and um now I think for a lot of people, I'm 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 speaking for other people. Uh, I'm assuming on their behalf that a lot of people will have found that hugely moving, just on face value. Oh as yeah. As in, as in, you know, 
in Johnny's head, he ended up with the brother and the girl and to got, got to go to the moon, right? He did everything. Yeah. Um, but sort of the, the way the way you guys are talking about it, the fact that it's it's a construct, it's complete, you know, it's ultimate, utter nonsense, kind of, it sounds like it almost ruins it for you. But if Johnny doesn't think it does, then does it? It, it doesn't ruin it for me. I, I I think I kind of felt like the game was actually wanting me to ask those questions, actually. Yeah. Um, I did, like, have that emotional reaction to the ending. It's just... It's more that the more I thought about it, the more it felt off. Mm. And I, I, just because of how smartly written the game is, I don't think that's accidental. Like, I really don't think it is. I think there is a moral question at the core of this game. Is it worth sacrificing the real happiness you had so you can have this fantasy perfect happiness that uh, mm. is a figment of uh, somebody else's imagination um and i don't know i yeah i i think i like the game more because of that to be honest yeah, with yeah. um i i yeah go on, no, sorry, I, I think what i was trying to say earlier is that ultimately i don't know if you have to choose you 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 kind of have two endings you know one is the reality one is the construct um you know, I I personally like the I I find it just you know wiping River out and turning her into and you know this NASA expert essentially that is capable of flying to the moon. In some respects, you know, maybe River just wanted to be like everybody else, but she wasn't. And in in many respects, she embraced who she was as as much as it was a, a torment of her life. And just to have this this thing where it kind of plays with that and that no, she was just this high flying NASA person that come into his life. And I know it's Johnny's fantasy at that point. So why should it really matter? I mean, River probably died on her, her, her bed, you know, with her own set of you know wants and dreams and, and, yeah. and issues. Um, but just, uh, that could be another, yeah, game, I mean, well, he, you know. <laughs> he talks a lot about it, it being, yeah, multiple, yeah. um, episodes, episodes which, yeah. you know, would, May hopefully people have got more information on, but um, so I, I I don't think I it's really a choice. You have two endings really. You know ultimately you've been playing the game for the first part of three hours with knowing what one ending is, and they construct a second one. And I, as much as I like the construction because it puts a little kind of you know tear in your eye and a little bit of you know oh that's kind of sweet that he gets to to have the best of both. I also and and quite a pragmatist, and I I like I really do think that you know. Like Josh has said, you know, things, you know, life is made up of little bits of challenges here and there, and you know, the reality is probably more powerful than any construct I could, yeah. I dream I could want to have. Do you think that 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 deliberately, you know, tear jerky, heart wrenching ending is actually a sort of meta commentary on the manipulation of the entire, you know, the the whole mm. thing is a manipulation, um, and even the concept that, you know we kind of manipulate our own experiences you know all all, the, all those feelings we've got nostalgia and memories and all these things linked in in a way we have a control over what they mean to us we have we have an effect on how they how they affect our lives you know i think that what uh what josh said earlier is exactly right that um that this was a very sweet ending it did definitely get to me and affected me but I think that Ken is aware of both sides of this issue and definitely yeah. refers to that in the holiday special that he put out um, earlier this year. In the, mm. uh, the final shot of that game was a 
a group of of jeering protesters standing outside of the SIGCORP mm. offices, loudly yelling right. and holding their signs in the air, demanding that the place be shut down. And so, um, you know, Ken has talked a lot about expanding this universe. His next game, mm. which is a, a bird story, doesn't yet have a release date yet, but uh, it, it's going to be set in the To the Moon universe. And so there's a lot that's going to be happening happening in future releases from him to expand the ideas that were introduced in here and uh, and of introduce new complications to this whole setup that's really interesting there's also uh the a book that features throughout is uh, the emperor's new clothes by hans mm. christian anderson and I, I thought at first when i saw that that maybe he was almost kind of taking the mick out of himself and, and his game but i think maybe it was more about referring to the technology that's used in the in you know by the by the sigmund corporation the idea that actually what they're doing is utterly futile mm-hmm. because ultimately I think there's, a, you know, one could definitely argue that it is, it, it doesn't, it doesn't change anything and it doesn't, you know, and to give somebody a fleeting experience on their deathbed, you know, it, ultimately that, that, well, again, I suppose, depending it's hard, on none of us interesting. <laughs> well, it'd be interesting if he, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, depends on your belief set, but it'd be interesting to see if, uh, if he tackles the concept of the afterlife <laughs> reincarnation in future games, because if, if he, if he believes in the scientific view that you die, you die, your, your, once your heart stops beating and your brain stops functioning and all those chemicals and neurotransmitters stop working, that all those, everything that you've ever done is basically, you know, for for naught it really doesn't matter what happened on your deathbed and but vice versa if if you know it, it does matter what happened on your deathbed ultimately what's johnny going to spend the eternity living a, a lie that he's a he's a nasa pilot and he flew to the moon and really it was a complete construct that he had no interest in doing that at all it's <laughs> so yeah <laughs> i don't know i think i think i prefer the more the more clean cut you know you achieve what you achieve in your life and you know maybe you should have made a bit more of it and that's brutal maybe just <laughs> mm, mm. one more little detail about that actually they make a um they talk a lot about how they're legally obligated to fulfill his wish yeah. to get him to the moon otherwise they face uh tremendous consequences yeah and, that's right uh, legal action. Yeah, and actually he never does make it to the moon um we see or we hear the flat line happen <laughs> which transitions very yeah. sweetly into a nice violin chord which begins the ends credit music but it's uh while he's still on the rocket ship so uh <laughs> that's a very good point i'm gonna i'm gonna put that down as a continuity error maybe <laughs> rather than a deliberate but you don't yeah you who knows the follow-up episode could involve that very uh that very thing coming up in court be interesting to see what the jury reckons on on that oh we did everything we got him so close he was in the spaceship he was got the girl his brother was still alive but he didn't actually set set foot on the moon yeah <laughs> how would you verify that like he's dead now so. there must be some sort of black box recorder and in they brought machine. witnesses uh, in uh for that last scene as well that's true spare helmets yeah yeah yeah, it's like the it's like the Guinness records verifiers. You have to have people <laughs> there to watch the final moments. Um, that would be an interesting game as well. The actual, you know, the legal proceedings and and the and the ramifications of such a device. Just just go on the internet and and look at that stuff. You know, legalized suicide and stuff. If you're really interested, mm. good God. Well, that's a whole, yeah, that's a whole other that's a whole other area. Um, if if you brought that into it, uh, people actually choosing to die, but then 
and actually because you know and then rather than end their life in despair or pain because of illness or depression they actually choose to end their lives at that point because they know it all uh you know they don't or they don't believe it'll ever get any better and they choose they choose to finish their life with the memory of their choice so not only do they get to duck out of of the real life they hate so much but they get to think that their life was awesome it, instead it of is interesting ultimately talk about this I like to think that, you know, on my deathbed, I would have done enough in my life to think, okay, yeah, I can die. I can die of at least a few things like, yeah, I did all right there. And so really, has Johnny got nothing on his deathbed? You know, there's nothing left with River or any of those memories which really fill him with some sort of emotional hope and joy. And it, it is just, mm. you know, in many respects, a flat line of, you know no emotions that he, he needs to implant. Mm. I mean, maybe not just Johnny himself, but the, the fact that this association exists. Like, I'm just trying to think if it really did exist, the, the kind of person that would, you know, almost be vain enough to say, no, I want this exact memory. <laughs> it's it's a bit freaky. That's, it's something I've thought about a lot, the the experience of being, you know, knowing that you are to die. What's going to happen, yeah. Be, you know, for, forever. It's like, you, a lot of the time you go through life and you have long periods where you there are memories of things that were once quite important that you've completely forgotten about and they're just not relevant especially not if you're on a deathbed and you're fighting cancer and pain and you're on medication or you've got Alzheimer's or something like this there's no there's absolutely no guarantee that you'd be lucid enough to you know to arrange this thing this would be such a, a limited service I think the I mean goodness knows how much the Sigmund uh, corporation or whatever charges but it would be a I think it would be a very limited thing whether you'd have whether you could have um you know uh, executors sort of so say say my mum's uh, on her deathbed and uh, and she's you know completely out of it on on morphine or something and uh, and i decide you know i decide on her behalf that she you know Quite she, like. she never she yeah what was she like she never attained enlightenment she never went to disneyland uh she never went to center court wimbledon finals day you know like Oh, she would have loved that say, yeah <laughs> yeah and like i just i just but I, I absolutely wouldn't you know i wouldn't want to change her memories of her life it would be a, i think it would be a utterly disrespectful thing to do mm. this conversation's yeah. gotten a little depressing you know people famously cry during the game we don't necessarily need them to cry during the podcast as well <laughs> i'm trying to lace it with humor uh, my mum's absolutely fine pretty much um we didn't have really any correspondence for this podcast now i i know this is a game that probably hasn't sold millions um i suspect it's also a game that a lot of people have humble in bundle. their steam or humble <laughs> bundle or in yeah or one of those um and and they haven't played it as i hadn't until today um but a bit of a shame because you know it is a game that seems to uh you know, elicit personal responses from people, as you'd expect. But I did manage to get this from uh, Chris Spann of the Recy Recycle Bin podcast on Twitter. He said, my experience of To The Moon. What's this silly little RPG? Oh, it's a bit like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Shut up, I'm not crying, you are. That's <laughs> uh, true. Anecdotally, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of people talk about To The Moon on my Twitter feed. I, it, it's always weird with what correspondence we get, you know, different time, place, etc. But I, I know it, it's a game that has been talked about, and I know it's a game that is fundly loved by many people. Um, it's a shame there's not been more correspondence, because you know, we've talked long and hard about, a, a, once again, a three-hour game. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the general, I think generally people really do click with the emotional side of the stuff. 
Now, I haven't seen too many people take the other stance where they say, no, it's just manipulative, etc., etc. I, I think it, it's done a pretty good job of once once you get most over the elements of it how it plays, yeah. I think most people are you know, pretty hooked into the, the narrative. Yeah. Um, and there are no doubt that I think I think we do have some listeners who uh, probably, you know, may, maybe a silent minority, I'm not sure, who do listen to this podcast every week, regardless of whether they've played the game or not. Um, and you may have got this far and you've not played to the moon. Um, but I, I, I don't know about you three, but I would say even even though we have talked about the whole thing and spoiled it and everything i still i'd still say it's worth you know three to four hours of your time absolutely um because you know there are it, it looks pretty it sounds pretty you can't hear them i mean we're going to play a little bit of the music but you can't you can't cover yeah there's 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 quite a bit going on and there's a lot of funny lines you know as they, like we said right at the start there's a surprising amount of levity mm. in it it's not like i think just because i'd heard oh it's you know it's it's this game that can make people cry and you know i i, I had a totally different idea of it both you know i was saying it i thought it looked more like it would look more like a classic point and clicker and uh and i thought it would be you know the general tone would be more downbeat and it has that element but it also has yeah it's, it's laced laced with humor and as i say for me one of the key things is the knowingness the fact that uh, you, you can see it when when Kangao gets uh, interviewed. He he uses the word pretentious a lot, which means not as in I am a you know, <laughs> I am pretentious. He's saying that you know I understand that some people will consider uh, you know and you know sort of giggle and say you know I might be a bit pretentious that you know it's kind of like like Jonathan Blow wouldn't hmm. you know he's just he's just way more kind of in tune with that side of things and and he's clearly keen not to be sort of aloof and self-regarding in quite such a in in a way as as some you know some of this sort of output can be it's i think it feels much lighter than that despite its despite its heavy some of its heavy subject matter now we did have a few three word reviews at least let's start with josh okay joey hamilton says emotionally moving experience a joey there we haven't got a Johnny, sadly. <laughs> David Stretch says teary-eyed roller coaster. Tatsan says clunky but great. Simon Cole, bittersweet indie charmer. Bittersweet is indeed mm-hmm. all one word. Bart Van Dyke says immersive emotional legend. Very nice, thanks everybody. That's uh, Twitter at Kana Rince. Um I think part of the reason I was going to say was we didn't get so much correspondence for this podcast is because the the shout went up relatively late before recording. The recording was brought forward and the and the and the request went up late. So um, if you've been listening to this podcast and either shouting at it or or agreeing along, do come along to kanarince.com slash forum. Sign up if you haven't already and uh, and find the thread and, and talk to us about the game. Uh, or you can even email us at canarince at gmail.com. That would be cool. So, uh, I guess we should sum up. Um, this is the bit where we tell people if they should play it or not. We kind of just covered that, but feel free to <laughs> give your own feelings. Um, and yes, how you genuinely, generally feel about your to-the-moon experience, Tony. I think it's interesting that they talk about, you know, 
Is it a game? Um, is it just a story? Is it interactive story? And I think if you put all that to side, stuff aside, I think the actual gaming element is probably its weakest part. And in many respects, I could I could have done without that stuff being in there. I think I would have enjoyed my experience that much more with it. But really, that's just a tiny, tiny aspect uh, of this game. And it's the story that has stuck with me for a year or 18 months after I've played it. Um, it's one of the ones I put on the list. Like, I, we, we should cover this. I think it's a really interesting indie game. Um, I think this is exactly what indie games should be. You know, challenging conventions in, in bigger experiences that we just don't have. I think, you know, there's some pretty hard-hitting, interesting topics that um, it brings up, but it also does it in a way where, you know, you don't feel like you're being preached to. You feel like you're being engaged with each character within there. And I think that's a, that's a hard hard um thing to achieve be it through film tv books whatever kind of media i think it's it's just a hard hard um emotional punch to have so for me that's what it was all about and uh, i thoroughly love my experience playing it and the fact that i happened to play it with my wife at the same time and we kind of both teared up at, at the right you know rick's trip moments <laughs> together and kind of had that teary-eyed look of like yeah we we really need to interact and talk to each other more about stuff and doing those things that couples do because you're like yeah you know yeah it's not it wasn't river's fault but you know there's having those blocks between people you know need to be explored so i think it's it's quite a challenging game and for a game that is just very cheap now um really relatively short really to play um yeah i think if you can get over the slightly clunkiness of the rpg maker I think you know, most people would enjoy the the story to be had inside. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, so this is, as I say, it's very fresh in my mind. And in a way, I think there are probably things about this game that I haven't, you know, fully twigged to or thought about yet. But um, I went in with without too many preconceived ideas. It was just something I'd heard about the people liked. I had heard that, you know, people had found it emotional. But beyond that, um, I actually had s slightly incorrect preconceived ideas about the way it would look and feel to actually play um in a way the mechanics are kind of fairly irrelevant i mean i actually i quite enjoyed those little puzzle moments and and things like that um but overall the the game neither blew my mind nor broke my heart quite um but i did go with it and there were moments when i thought that felt like it could have strayed into being a bit heavy-handed um, it, it's kind of it's kind of like a weird uh, mishmash of you know, we've mentioned Memento, Inception, mm -hmm. Eternal Sunshine, and The Spotless Mind. Those three films, but there's 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 a lot of Dis uh, you know Pixar's up in there mm -hmm. as well, and um, all great films by the way. Uh, <laughs> I like all those films. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, and and I was concerned that it was gonna you know potentially tip over into a into a, a schmaltzy mawkish cliff. Uh, dive that I wouldn't I wouldn't have enjoyed, but its knowingness uh, and the the general fascination of its story, uh, as absurd as it is in in a lot of ways, uh, won me over, kept me with it, and the fact that it's actually you know caused me to muse philosophically about the nature of perception and memory and who I am and and you know destiny and fate and um, the human condition and all that stuff. You know any any three to four hour video game experience that can can do that is all right in my book and uh yeah even if you've come this far as i said i'd still recommend playing it for yourself josh 
So yeah, like, like Leon, I I kind of came into this game with very few expectations as to what it was, other than it was a point a point and click adventure game type sort of game. Um, so when the romantic tale that unfolds uh, reared its head. Um, you know, a part way through the game, I was really surprised and became really engaged in it. And I, I think the way it handles uh, Rivers Asperger's is it was smart. Like it, it, it didn't feel heavy-handed. Um, and and it's it's a subject. Uh, autism is a subject that I have seen handled really poorly uh, in other media. Um, I've seen it. I, I don't think many other games have touched on it. Uh, somebody mm. tell me if there if you can think of any examples. But um, yeah, I, I was really impressed with how, how it handled it, and uh, I just think the game's really smartly written on the whole. Um, the way it smoothly shifts between different kinds of tones, like it doesn't feel jarring, as Leon said earlier in the podcast. Like it can shift from a comedic tone to a more uh, downbeat a more uh, sad tone really smoothly and it not feel jarring at all um i think it's just yeah it's just a really impressively written game the unfortunate uh, unfortunate part of it is i think the interactive parts of it sometimes feel unnecessary and 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 as as i said earlier I, I feel like they came off as a little bit insecure as as if they were put in there just to say yeah here's here's the get we're a game we definitely are a game and i i think there are aspects of this of this experience that could have benefited with some more depth interact uh, interactive depth but the puzzles they provided weren't the way that i, I don't think they were the way to do it but ultimately, because the story is so good and the characters are so well written, I can look past that. And I think, um, yeah, I, I and I, I struggle to think of many games that have left me uh, pondering the implications of the narrative that uh, unfolded as much as uh, To the Moon. Lovely. Uh, and Ryan, and I believe you have something too uh, special to share with I us. I do. As well. Yeah, I'll do that at the at the end of my little sum up here but uh it's a game that left a huge impression on me when i first played it back in probably 2012 and it's sort of stuck with me ever since then and it's one that i really hesitated to go back and play again because i didn't know if i was going to have that same kind of experience and i almost wanted to protect that experience and you know knowing that it was so um i did get so emotionally involved the first time because it's a it's a hugely emotional tale very uh very human story um you know, it, it feels like a, a little bit of a commitment once you sit down and play it. Um, but it's, uh, it is very delightfully written all the way through. And even more than just the pure charmingness of the dialogue and the way that the entire world is conveyed, it's very impressively written as well. As, as Josh said, there's a lot of very, uh, very difficult things, very difficult um, you know, narrative acrobatics that the game manages to pull off that it's really easy to overlook. And this is the uh, uh, shifts between tone, the protection of this really sweet and endearing and human love story without it ever feeling pretentious or at least 
unaware of the inklings of pretentiousness that are inevitable in this type of story. Um, it's, Hmm. it's something that I would absolutely recommend for people. Uh, but you know, having played it again recently, it wasn't as, uh, great my second time through just because, you know, it's a story about learning about these people. And it's a story that is, uh, motivated by discovery. Um, and so once the, once that discovery is um, behind you, it, it does kind of lose a little something on a second go through. But it, it is definitely worth mm. at least a first playthrough for anybody. And it's hardly any time commitment at all. You know, three hours and you're through with it and it's uh, it'll stick with you as it has stuck with all of us. And so I, uh, I did want to um, also introduce a piece. Um, we mentioned earlier, we talked a lot about rivers uh asperger's condition and how that plays mm-hmm. into the love story which is something that's very difficult to craft a uh love story with any um yes element of mental illness that doesn't feel exploitative or um like they're belittling the individual who is affected in this case and uh we do mm-hmm. see johnny's frustration with her and the types of things that would emerge in this relationship. I thought it was very sensitively handled. And I actually talked to, or I had an online correspondence with a uh, brother of one of my colleagues at school who, uh, who has Asperger's and is a very accomplished, well-spoken individual who's thought and written a lot about this. And so uh, he, he wrote a very thoughtful response in uh, response to my question of uh, do people affected with Asperger's have any uh, different experience, any muted experience, and know that their expression of love can be muted or diverted in a way that uh, other people might not express love. But what is the experience of love among those with Asperger's? And he wrote a very, uh, very long piece, which I'll post on the website, but um, I'll just read some, some of the highlights that I I really stuck out to me. Um, he mm. says, my name is Evan and I was diagnosed with Asperger's at 11. I have since had multiple romantic relationships with various women. I also am pursuing a master's degree in du- at Duke Divinity, which means I consider myself to be a student of the highest love. I believe that the best argument I can find to show that an Aspie, which is his words, not mine, it's a term he doesn't mm-hmm. find offensive, have the same capacity for love as a, in quotes, normal person, comes from a behavioral study. Consider the famous angry outbursts of a child with Asperger's. Unable to deal with an emotional stimulus, the child will violently lash out in an attempt to express the torrent of emotion that they are feeling. This, confirmed by the personal experience, tells me two things. First, Aspies can feel strong, overpowering emotion on a level that will lead to action even they understand to be unacceptable. And second, Aspies have difficulty understanding and expressing those powerful feelings. Aspies are by nature obsessive about the things that they care about. A true Aspie would be likely to either, one, obsess over a few factors of their romantic relationship, physical affection, emotional talks, etc., at the expense of others, or two, be using the relationship as a means to a greater end. For example, if she is convinced that a boyfriend will will prove that she is normal, Consider for a moment that the Aspie may in fact have a greater capacity for romantic love than others. 
The average individual, for example, expresses love and affection through a variety of simple mediums, delighting in general joys. Your average Aspie cares only for a select few things, which makes her drive to delight in those things all the greater, ergo, obsessive, neurotic behaviors. From an outside view, the Aspie lover may seem cold and uncaring when it comes to those silly little things that most people do when in love. Our heroine may not care much for the words of affection or other accepted romantic mediums, but she might have uh, might have downloaded every picture that she has ever existed of her boyfriend into a massive file on her laptop, which she tells <laughs> nobody about. For an Aspie, love is expressed in unorthodox ways that, albeit seem quite abnormal and possibly unacceptable, but when one cannot express emotion normally, one does what one must. As such, Aspies are among the most innovative and unexpected of lovers. Given that one stops attempting to juxtapose, in quotes, normal displays of affection on them, and instead appreciates them for their own quirky senses. Personally, you can keep that McDonald's love. Your average Aspie loves like a fusion bacon curry wrap with chocolate dogs for dessert, and I'll take that any day. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I think this is one of those podcasts that uh, if this was an American sitcom, we'd have had to open it with now a very special episode of Kane and Rinse. <laughs> well, thanks everyone. That's been uh, truly interesting. Uh, and uh, for this week, it just remains for me, Leon Cox, to thank Tony Atkins, Joshua and Ryan. Uh, and to tell you that next time in our traditional juxtaposition of tone, uh, in issue 135, we return to Pandora for further adventures in rooting, tooting, looting and shooting with Borderlands 2. Uh, until then, back to the emotional teary stuff with this tune. When this world is no more